I'm Kate Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Kay. So nice to see you. So nice to see you, Miriam. Um, we, I'm joining you immediately post a, a steering committee meeting with Gaia, the Steerco of Gaia, um, the Global AI Action Alliance that, that this podcast comes out of. So it's really fun to have been talking to our many members about the way that we need to move forward with Gaia. How exciting. Well, for our listeners who are not familiar, will you tell them what is Gaia and and are there any decision points you guys uh, made at the steering committee that could be shared? Yeah, sure. So the Global AI Action Alliance, Gaia for short, uh, really is an, an organization that we set up at the World Economic Forum that brings people together working in, in this case, the responsible AI space. Um, so that we can share best practices and we can help one another achieve responsible AI instead of us all doing our own things in our own silos. And it's terribly important because there are so many ethical principles out there, as we'll talk about with Ilana, and um, putting those principles into practice. So some of the ideas that came out of the STRCO were thinking about responsible use of AI and energy um, and uh, what the trade-off is between help using AI to help, for example, with climate change, but running AI over da- big data sets causes vast uses of energy. So um, that that was one, one idea was that we might have a smart, a version of the Smart Toys Award around Um, smart use of AI, which I really like. Um, And another thing, because, you know, we think about how uh, children are going to be using artificial intelligence. Another thing that came out very loudly was um, we really need to educate children to think about the way they use artificial intelligence and the sooner the better. What important points. I mean, those two alone, saving the world and protecting ourselves by uh, ensuring a brighter future. So uh, thank you for uh, for sharing that and for doing that work. Uh, in full disclosure, we are full fa- huge fans of Gaia at Equal AI. We've been the beneficiary of participating in the conversations and being a part of the community and have really appreciated how it is this wonderful cross-section from around the world of companies, nonprofits, and really individuals who are uh, motivated to make sure that we make progress, that we achieve results in the responsible AI space. And so uh, really applaud the work that you're doing. Thank you. One thing that we were excited about that you will also, uh, another conversation you'll enjoy soon, I got to talk with some of the panelists for the final badge session, uh, which will focus on policy, something I know near and dear to your heart. And it's really interesting because uh, people often think there's not a lot to talk about in the AI policy space. Um, And what they're missing is, first of all, all the laws on the books that are applicable to AI. You know, just because you're building something in AI does not mean you're absolved of liability in the way that uh, any other kind of 
data usage or decision uh, making uh, operation happens. Um, but aside from that, it's exciting to hear about in the US and abroad, uh, how much is happening in this space and how much is happening in a really thoughtful way, you know, from NIST's AI risk framework that's really trying to take into account how do we support innovation? How do we avoid bias and harm? How do we create inclusive AI? Um, so I am particularly excited about uh, what is hopefully coming down our way in the policy pipeline. Absolutely, that, that, that'll be fantastic. And I'm looking forward to coming to it. Um, I'm also looking forward to our time with Ilana Golden. Um, from PwC, who's been, who's an old friend. You know, many of us have been working on this for, for some time now. It seems like a long time, but actually it's just yesterday in real time, real thinking. <laughs> but, you know, in 2014, it's not a long time ago. But um, she's got, I'm sure she'll have some fantastic things to tell us. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's jump in. Today, we are looking forward to speaking with Ilana Golbin. Ilana is a director in PwC Labs, leading projects on emerging technology and artificial intelligence. Since 2018, Ilana has led PwC's efforts globally in the development of cutting-edge approaches to build and deploy responsible AI. Ilana specializes in applying machine learning and simulation modeling to address client needs across sectors regarding strategic deployment of new services, operational efficiencies, geospatial analytics, explainability, and bias. She is a certified ethical emerging technologist and is listed as one of the 100 brilliant women in AI ethics in 2020. She was also recently recognized in Forbes as one of 15 leaders advancing ethical AI. Elana, welcome to our show. It's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Kay and Miriam. It's, it's wonderful to be here. So to start, uh, we want to ask you about how you became interested in responsible AI. Can you share with us how you went from getting degrees in organic chemistry, contemporary Chinese political economy, and environmental science to the role that you now have directing PwC labs in emerging technology and AI? and how you began to focus your efforts specifically on responsible AI, a passion that we three ladies share. How does anybody get into this space these days, right? It's, it's a, definitely been a, a very circuitous path. Uh, as you mentioned, my, my interests have always been very broad, <laughs> sometimes um, you might say unfocused, but uh, I, I joined PwC out of my undergraduate where I, as you pointed out, I've, I've done a fair bit of my work in, in the engineering and sciences space. And uh, I ended up getting connected to who is now my boss, Anand Rao, who was starting part of a group of partners, starting a, a practice around analytics. At the time, there really wasn't anything called data science. It was predictive analytics. That's what people were referring to. Uh, you know, machine learning was really just starting to be more commonly 
uh, discussed in public discourse outside of just academic institutions. And so I've been really fortunate to grow up in the data science space as the space itself matured. Um, and through that, natural questions start emerging. Why do these types of systems actually work? How, how can you explain them? That was, I think, one of the first things we really started to, to discuss in that space. Um, how can you prove that they're working well in all types of contexts? And so these are operational questions around performance, but to me, they're also broader questions around how do you build confidence and trust in the systems that we put our, um, that, that we rely upon, that we rely upon to make decisions and increasingly more important, more difficult, more nuanced decisions. Um, and luckily with that, there was a, a parallel trend where our clients were asking similar questions as well. How do we oversee these systems? How do we control them? Um, and that's really where our journey around responsible AI started is what does that actually mean? And there were at this point, I think um, the, 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 was it, the Fairness, Accountability and Transparency Conference had just started or was just starting. There, the, the discussion in even the academic spaces was still fairly nascent but a lot of people seem to be running at this problem from a few different perspectives. And it seemed important to us to pull together specialists from across different pockets of PwC, from different territories with different backgrounds to start to think about these problems a little bit more comprehensively and pull together a more cohesive set of perspectives. So that's really what got us going in the space of responsible AI. And I'm very fortunate that I've been around for the, the completeness of, of that that journey. And I'm here, still here to continue driving it forward. And I think over time have been connected to such uh, passionate people like both of you and others in the community who care very deeply about these topics and who have also helped open my mind and open other people's mind to more um, more difficult questions that these types of systems might uh, might expose. Well, what a wonderful journey. And, and like you said, how do any of us end up here? Such a good question. And you really touched upon not just AI, but the concept of responsible AI. And that's one reason in particular we're so excited to have you on our show today is because you deal with that concept uh, on the conceptual level. You think a lot about what it means philosophically, and it, but you also get to do it in application. You get to uh, advise your clients on what does this actually mean day in, day out? What does this look like? So can you define for us in the way that you've defined for your clients or yourself, what is responsible AI? Why is it important? What does it look like for a practitioner, a, a developer, someone in business? Uh, how, how do they achieve it? Um, and if it's possible, it'd be great to hear some projects you've worked on that illustrate what it means when you see responsible AI in the wild. So I think responsible AI is a very broad construct and it covers a lot of different aspects, a lot of different attributes to a lot of people and to a lot of companies and people interpret it definitely differently. Um, we like to think of it broadly as being on the strategic side. How do we define the systems that we want to build broadly. What, how are we using and deploying AI across our enterprise? What does our strategy around AI look like? And how do we consider what we will or will not do as part of that strategy? It's also thinking about from an, um, an ethics standpoint, where do we think ethics play a role or which ethical principles or how, how do we express ethical principles and how we make decisions around roughly what types of systems we're willing to invest our time in. We're also thinking about from a policy side, uh, public policy landscape. 
where do we see priorities in terms of mitigating, or in terms of, of um, emerging risk factors that maybe we might not be aware of presently, but could be aware of in the future, and how we incorporate that again into our organizational strategy. Really anchoring on the fact that businesses are driven by what the business needs and what the business needs to achieve. And thinking about responsibility at that level is really crucial to propagating down all the way through to ultimately what people end up building buying or executing and so on and so forth. That's implemented by an effective governance model. How do you oversee these systems? Um, what is the role of compliance? What is the role of your risk management team? What, um, what are the different roles and responsibilities throughout what sometimes referred to as the three lines of defense? Meaning what is the burden on the first line, the developers, the people who are scoping and creating models? What's the burden on the second line, the people who are tasked with reviewing and checking and making sure that everything is compliant? What's the role of the, thir the third line, the group of people who are responsible for ensuring that the second line is doing their job properly and there are no gaps in the control structure? So that's all organizational. Uh, we're not talking about technical requirements really at that level. We're thinking about what technical requirements what might we need, but more broadly, what are the procedural requirements? What are the oversight mechanisms? What are the checkpoints and areas of accountability we need to be enforcing? Where are go, no go areas? And what types of other structures do we need in place to have confidence in our systems? Then we can think about technical implications, which I think typically more closely align with what we described as the ethical principles. Are we building models that are fair? Do we know what fairness means in the context of the systems that we're building? Do we have a way of evaluating that? Is it consistent across the enterprise? Do we know how to how to translate that that sometimes vague fairness construct into what our model or models or the systems around our models or the, the decisions that are enabled by these models are actually doing? And is there a process for remediating that? Because that, that can be quite challenging. What about explanation uh, and transparency? Again, what does that mean for a specific system more broadly than, a than one particular AI model for all sorts of different types of decisions? What does a sufficient level of transparency look like? Who needs to understand that? Is it an end user, an impacted party, um, a regulator, a compliance person uh, or professional? Uh, your CEO, do they care? How, how do you translate a model's decision-making or a set of capabilities that a model is, is enabling to an appropriate level of explanation? Are models robust? Are they secure? Are they privacy preserving if they need to be, or are they respectful of different privacy uh, privacy restrictions? Uh, there are, are all sorts of questions that fall under this category of technical uh, technical oversight of systems that sometimes align with what we view as, as ethical principles. So just taking a step back and thinking about what that means practically and where companies are going and, and how they're trying to address this really broad concept, it's thinking about, well, what structures do they already have in place? Most companies already have some type of governance model that oversees something. Where is it effective? Where is it ineffective? What are teams doing to try and, and get a hold on things? Do they have a view of, on a strategic level of what role they want AI and data and more broadly emerging technology to play within their business and where it shouldn't? Is that propagated throughout the business? Do you have, does everybody know that? Uh, more often than not, it's, it's a fairly nascent space, and so we have to think about how we can craft that vision and articulate that vision more broadly down. Um, sometimes it's specifically on the ethics side. What are these other values that we think we need to be um, embedding more closely into our business? Uh, 
Sometimes it's it's on the, the governance side. What organizational models do we need to construct? Um, where do we have gaps, as I was saying before? Um, what is a model development life cycle and how is that different from a software development life cycle? And where do we need different checks and balances than we presently have today? Um, are there simple fixes like changing our documentation style or is it more complicated incorporating different testing procedures at that level? Um, and then from a technical standpoint, it's also, I think, just getting a handle on the fact that I think a lot of teams really fundamentally want to do the right thing and they see these as important topics but they might not necessarily know organizationally what's already happening. And so they might rush to adopt certain types of tools in order to fix a problem that they see, but that the way that they're fixing that problem might not be in alignment with what the organization thinks they should be doing. So having consistency in terms of the, the uh, application, that's where standard operating procedures and the like come into play. Um, so how, how can we help with that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for thank you so much for all of that. I, I was trying to keep a note of all the things that you were talking about because it, it, it's riveting and it's what everybody needs to know. But you were talking about businesses. Um, I want to sort of take it up a level because mm -hmm. often we talked about we often we talk about how can we get policies that everybody across the globe agrees to. And when we first met years ago now, um, you showed me a piece of work that you had done on analyzing all the sets of different ethical principles that have been written around the world. And you came up with sort of nine core principles that you felt actually could be found all over the world. So things that we cared about as human beings. And uh, you and Maria Accente then put that into a World Economic Forum agenda piece so that people listening to this can go and read it if, if necessary. But, you know, tell us what those principles were and how you came up with the list. Oh, well, that exercise started, um, as you mentioned, several years ago because there was a popular trend which continues to this day of different organizations putting forth a set of, of principles that they believed all AI systems need to comply with. Um, these are principles like fairness, accountability, transparency, robustness, human agency, meaning um, having humans to have the, still the final say in how a model makes its decisions. Um, and we were noticing that some of these principles were different or using similar terms, but to mean different things or, or different terms, but to mean the same thing. And so we started a tracker that helped us just make sense of all of, of all of this. And um, you're, you're right to say, Kay, that a, a pattern did start to emerge, that there's this common core set of principles that seem to roughly be uh, present in, in the vast majority of documents. And it's a similar set of principles that other organizations that um, have had multiple signatories to, like the OECD, have started to align to. And um, we, we did this analysis to alleviate our own confusion around what was happening in this space and come up with this common list that we could use as a starting point. That's not to say that all principles are created equal. Um, it's also not to say that all principles are going to be evenly applied. Um, and that's because principles are, and a lot of these principles have a direct conflict with one another. And uh, relieving that conflict specific to an, a, a society or a specific organization or a group of individuals is important to translate those principles into practice. So we sometimes refer to that as contextualization. 
Um, now, what do I mean by in conflict with one another? Uh, you take the principle of privacy with the principle of uh, safety, for instance. Uh, now, we think that if you think that things should be fair, um, or, or actually, let, let me let me take a step back. Uh, why don't we do uh, privacy and and um, bias or or fairness? So in the in the privacy space, uh, it's important for us to say that people should have ownership of their data. Uh, they should be aware of how their information is being used. They should be um, uh, they should the stewards of their data should take extra care with the sensitivity of individual data. Now, on the fairness side, we're trying to say that it make we think that um, all people should be treated equally. All people should have um, equal representation. They're, they should have equal opportunities to to participate in economies and in, in um, the. Uh, in in, um, in academia and in any other place where there might be a model that's acting as a gatekeeper. Now, how those two principles come into tension? Um, if I believe that privacy is of utmost importance, then I might believe that I don't want to retain any protected attributes about individuals because that is sensitive information, and I need to treat that with care. So I should not retain it. I should remove it. But then I it makes it nearly impossible to evaluate that a system is actually performing fairly because you cannot then compare those protected attributes. So there is a natural tension between just those two. How do you alleviate that? Where do you find a certain importance between those? Or how do you alleviate that for a specific system or in the context of a specific environment? That same type of trade-off emerges in the safety space as well because you want people to be protected, but maybe you can't protect them unless you have data about where people are moving, where they're going to, how they're engaging with the space, who is, um, if uh, someone is, I don't know, recently committed a crime and on the loose and you're trying to find them, but also recognizing that those systems don't also work equally for people of different backgrounds. So there's there are a lot of natural tensions between these principles. And I think it's something that organizations and, and societies need to reconcile as we think about how these principles get put into practice. So Ilana, that sounds to me as if once you start to contextualize these principles to reflect all those values, social norms and behaviors, it's actually not possible to have a global framework for responsible AI. Um, would you agree or, or do, we, do we still hold out some hope well, I think that there are going to be cultural factors that are always different in specific spaces, and we have to appreciate and recognize that. Societies have evolved their own norms based on their own practices, and, and I think to expect that everybody will adopt a common set at a granular level might might not be um, might not be valid, and it might also not be fair to some of these other societies who have evolved their own sets of norms. We need to recognize that. That's where this contextualization process is valuable. You think about the local context, you think about the local sets of norms and values, and how those are influenced by this global set of principles. Um, I, I still think that there is value in having a common set that we, we try and put our weight behind, but the application of those principles, understanding that that might look differently within different segments or different pockets. Um, now, that might also present its own set of challenges when you're thinking about common um, common practice. But again, we, we've we live in a global world and we have to already be respectful of, of one another's um, cultural cultural norms and values. And so I think this is just a natural extension of that. I love that framing of this, that that should 
our cultural awareness and sensitivity should not be something we're talking about in the AI context alone. This really should be part of a larger conversation on how do we show respect and how do we include AI in that conversation of showing respect for your different culture, population, individuals, um, so that we can all feel respected and thrive. Uh, so I, I thank you for that. Uh, so switching gears a bit, uh, you had mentioned also in the WEF agenda post that uh, there have been attempts to expand laws derived from science fiction. And in fact, we started off the conversation today uh, with you sharing your appreciation for Neil Stevenson. And uh, we wanted to get your thoughts. You obviously have a perspective on whether science fiction is helping, hurting, or how it's influencing the way that we are thinking about AI. Do you think it's impacting our attempts to regulate it? Are these books and movies a good source for our understanding of AI and its potential use cases? Or is it something that's doing more harm than good? That's a, a loaded question, I think. Uh, I am a big lover of science fiction. And I think science fiction, like any tool, can be used to promote uh, a public general understanding of the possibilities of technology. It can also potentially do a disservice by overinflating the possibilities of said technology or also uh, adding significant confusion to how we discuss that technology in practice. So it, it's a double-edged sword. And I think that, um, I, I personally think that there are ways in which science fiction is helping us because it helps us think about uh, potential futures that we want to avoid and therefore how we could then translate that into sets of policies and requirements for us as a society so that we don't get to that step. Because there are people on the other side that look at those same examples aspirationally as a possibility for that technology. Um, there are also been, I think there have been several instances where our uh, evolvement, like the, the evolution of AI has kind of kept pace with science fiction. And so a great example of that is the deep fake space where uh, people are using AI technologies to essentially manipulate um, and fool in us into thinking we're seeing something that we're not, something that never occurred. And that's something that's happened over time in, in science fiction over and over and over again. And we're seeing that come to reality. So how can we learn from science fiction to try and protect ourselves against this potential future taking over. Um, and I think we're doing an okay job of trying to keep pace with that. Um, there are other aspects of science fiction where I think it might be doing a significant disservice, not necessarily a disservice, but it might be a little bit of a distraction against our immediate needs. Uh, there's a, a trend right now to think about the rights of robots and to think about how we can uh, provide citizenship to robots or, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of, of interesting stuff. I mean, I think it's an interesting thought experiments to, to be clear, but I think we have real problems today that we need to work through that probably deserve more attention. And um, it might be doing a disservice to the community at large if we over calibrate to those types of questions and not consider, well, how are we actually uh, not treating everybody fairly now? Which communities are being unfairly pen penalized or excluded from participation or are not appropriately represented in data sets, in development teams, in uh, access to resources, in or the ability to use certain types of technologies to serve decisions? And I think that's a lot more pressing than some of those more far off questions. So as with everything, I think we need to balance and uh, focus on what we collectively as a community can try and address today. Thank you, Ilana. And um, in a similar vein, you've previously talked about how society 
acting as consumers has a powerful voice in the discussion of how companies use AI. Can you expand on how consumers and the court of public opinion can influence business decisions and where we've seen that kind of impact? I would say that we've, over the last few years especially, there has been a really interesting um, uh, consolidation of, of, of public opinion around certain types of technologies and that resulting in, in the drawback or pullback from, from certain types of organizations. Uh, and historically, I mean, collect, collective action has been hard, has required formal structures in order to in order to push back on these types of bodies. I'm thinking like unions, which certainly still are valuable, but uh, right now with social media, I think anybody can can join forces with someone else and try and progress a topic that they find important to them. There's obviously a pro and a con to that, but that's, a, a, I think, an interesting space that we're finding ourselves in. Where I've been seeing this happen most, uh, uh, I would say, in a most focused pattern over the last few years has been in the space of facial recognition and more generally models that use biometric data. Uh, there have been in the U.S. especially and also in, in Europe and the U.K. a significant pushback around the use of these technologies in public spaces. That's been consumer driven. That's been uh, emphasized and amplified by uh, not-for-profit entities that share the same interests with those types of consumers. And we have seen governments pull back. We've seen um, uh, uh, here most recently in, in the U.S., the IRS is now walking back from using facial recognition in their IDME type of technology. So it's there is a it's happening. It's 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 more or less I wouldn't say successful, but it's having an impact. And so I do think it's important as communities to recognize that our voice matters. And when we collectively agree that there is something that we feel like is unjust, we can push back on it. Now it's not always perfect. Governments are still rolling out facial recognition technologies, even as some are backing away. And you have some societies, again, Miriam, to your point about having cultural sensitivity and, and respect for, for, for differences in, in opinion, there are some societies where this is just not an issue. Uh, it's not, the, the perceived benefit of this technology far outweighs the, the costs or the, the concerns. And so um, reflecting that again, I think it's interesting to see the push and pull in, in public spaces. Definitely. Um, the other area we wanted to pull the thread on that you mentioned before is on the concerns and risks with deploying AI. We are all, I think, pretty excited here about the potential benefits, whether they're made up in sci-fi or reality. Uh, but we also are all very concerned about reducing harmful bias and fostering trust, ensuring accountability, you know, fostering essentially accountable, responsible AI. You had mentioned also earlier several different players who have a, an important role to play in achieving more responsible AI. And to be sure, I think everyone has a role to play in that. But would you say there is one part of society, one player, one role that is most significant in ensuring we achieve responsible AI? I think it really is for this to be successful it needs to be a partnership across a multi multitude of different types of entities. Um, if the push is only from the regulators, then there will, first of all, regulation takes a long time. And so there's a likelihood that it might go into effect when those harms are already realized. So that's one issue. Plus when it's just a push from the regulators, it might be perceived as adversarial by some of the companies that are building and deploying or trying to use these technologies. So it is important to have regulators play a strong role, but those regulators need to uh, speak the same language and, and 
and co collaboratively develop regulatory um, vehicles with businesses that are impacted by those regulations. And we are seeing some of that collaboration today. And that's, I'm, I'm quite inspired by that. I think it'll be Im impressive to see that moving forward. Uh, there are also standards bodies, which kind of play in my mind an, an intermediate role or other types of policy institutes that play an intermediate role that act as aggregators or um, uh, conveners across people in the, the, uh, the for-profit space or the not-for-profit space and also the, the government space to come up with requirements that organizations feel like they can comply with that might then get translated into regulations. So I think that that's, almost, that's a more immediate vehicle, still time-consuming, but a more immediate vehicle than the regulatory requirements and something where I see a lot of uh, important focus today. Those are bodies like NIST, IEEE, uh, ISO and, and other types of global bodies that are, are pursuing standards. Um, other policy uh, institutes um, or even regulators that are just issuing guidance, I think is helpful for organizations. But again, it, it's there's an attempt to mirror what is feasible. And I think that that's important. If we over calibrate to aspirational requirements um, and don't think about what, what organizations can comply with or what consumers actually need or what regulators can actually oversee, then uh, something is going to fall through the cracks or someone's going to find a way to circumvent it because it's not actionable. So uh, it's important to have all of these bodies working in, in, in uh, collaboration with one another so that we're working toward a common future and not like potentially 10 different futures that don't actually see eye to eye. Absolutely. Um, very much agreed. And of course, you know, at the World Economic Forum, we are part of that international organization trying to do work in areas that matter around responsible AI and other uses of AI. But um, as part of that, PwC agreed to send a fellow for 18 months to work with us on the AI platform. It's a big commitment to send somebody to spend that amount of time. And you didn't choose the sort of normal, I'm going to do something about business. You actually chose um, to work on how do we protect children when they're using AI so that they can enjoy all the many benefits that, that AI can bring. And um, that ended up in the Smart Toy Awards. So. That was unusual. Can you tell us why it was that you first of all thought it was a good thing and why you chose that subject? Well, it's very important to, to us, I think, and, and me personally, and also I think the rest of our organization and uh, the fellow that we sent is also quite passionate on that topic. Um, we, we talk a lot about protecting uh, some of the most vulnerable populations of individuals and children are incredibly vulnerable. They they have a voice, sometimes their voice is not heard, uh, or they don't have a voice at all. Uh, they they have to take technology as it's given to them. They don't have as much of a say in how they can interface with it. Um, it's up to the adults, the responsible adults in the room to make decisions on their behalf. And then that, um, that um, implies that adults actually know what's, what's best for them as it pertains to these technologies. But we know that the literacy around what AI is is and, and how it works and what the harms are is still fairly low. And so um, if you kind of extrapolate that out, then the guardians of, of these individuals of the sensitive population, uh, they might not have the appropriate skills or the appropriate resources to make those types of decisions uh, for their children. 
So that's, that's just, I think in general, I think is a really important topic. And so we're very happy to be involved in that exercise. Uh, but also PwC as a firm has a very strong commitment in the education of youth. We started in financial education. It's been expanding to STEM education. And it's not just small children. There's also several different educational initiatives for middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students that touch all across uh, financial services, technology, AI, and so on and so forth. So it's really in alignment with our firm's commitment to protect our youth and equip our youth with the skills that they need in order to be impactful members of our community. Uh, and, and that also is, is keeping in, in mind some of the disparities that might exist within populations, especially here in the U.S., but, but also globally, where there's not necessarily equal access to educational opportunities, not necessarily equal access to express skills that they're learning um, and be involved in some of these types of initiatives. So uh, we're, we're, I think there, it, bring, it was a really nice way of bringing together some of the initiatives that, that PwC is, uh, is promoting. Well, I think we will all be the beneficiaries. So thank you for the work that, that you are supporting there. Thank you for looking at how to protect our children as the mother of two daughters uh, who are very much in, involved in the AI space, knowingly or not. Uh, I can say on behalf of, of the mothers, we are grateful for the work you're doing in that space. Um, and to further that thought and, and to follow up on your past discussion about the role of policymakers, you know, there are clearly those who are relying on in general and in the AI space to establish the norms and set the rules. And, you know, if you were to narrow down your thoughts into one piece of advice that you were going to give the Biden administration or the government of your choice uh, or the government entity of your choice, um, what would you tell them is the most important thing they could do to ensure the deployment of safe, effective, inclusive artificial intelligence? Wow, one thing, huh? <laughs> there, you know, I'm a lawyer. They could, there could be subparts in your answer. <laughs> um, I, I mean, this is a very complicated space, and it's going to take a lot of uh, a lot of collaboration, a lot of uh, discussion, in, in terms of finding the right approach that works in the U.S. space, in the U.S. context. Obviously, the EU has the AI Act that they're. Pro promoting and, and right now iterating on, and the U.S. has had several turns of various different types of um, initiatives. I think my, my perspective um, is that focusing on the U.S. government, which has a lot of sub-entities that focus on various interests, uh, my advice would be to find a way to drive some consistency across those. Uh, my worry is that when you have a lot of people who in, again, the best interest of, of their hearts and their constituents are trying to promote different types of regulatory frameworks, that we might emerge with several conflicting regulatory frameworks under one umbrella. And um, it, I don't think that's anyone's intention, but I'm worried that we might end up going that way when we're running so quickly across several different trajectories at the same time. So my one piece of advice would be to, to utilize the tools that are available to the government to try and create a set of consistent approaches or playbooks or whatever whatever you have in order to have a, a common pathway forward or a way of uh, reconciling some of the conflicting uh, propositions that might come to the table. It's really thoughtful. I, I, I'll vote for that. <laughs> I'm not running for government. So. <laughs> Too bad. It's a hard job. I know it's a very hard job. We're a big country with a lot of a lot of stuff going on. So yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I'll go for that as well, because, you know, if you have uh, inconclusive legislation, only us lawyers benefit. So, um, as we come to a close, uh, last question. If you had a magic wand to request one wish, is another one thing, to achieve responsible AI, what would your wish be? My wish would that would be that there would be a consistent level of basic education around the practical benefits, the potential harms, and then the basic capabilities of machine learning and, and generally emerging technologies. I think if we don't provide that, then we will have people trying to make decisions off of technology they don't understand and uh, making those decisions in a way that might not reflect uh, uh, actionable means of, of oversight. So it's a, it's a very tall order, I know, uh, but I think that it's, it's achievable over time and having a basic curriculum around emerging technology in general will really benefit us as a community, as a society. Alana, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a pleasure. And I think anyone listening has learned so much. We now have, I think, the treatise on what everyone needs to do, what their role should be, and, and how to go about it. Thank you so much for having me. And I love these conversations. This is such an evolving topic. And I think every, everybody's appreciation of the nuance in the space, mine especially, changes over time. And so I really welcome these opportunities to, to discuss and learn more with you both. Thank, thank you. you. Well, Kay, as expected, Alana shared so many insights. That was such an interesting conversation. What were some of the big takeaways for you? Well, it's hard to know where to start because there was so <laughs> much content in that. But, I mean, I think um, the, the emphasis on thinking about our future and uh, the work that they did to help us think through AI and children um, is remarkable. Um, also, the fact that she was talking about, you know, yes, we need to look at the future, we need to protect our children, but also we shouldn't get too focused on what might happen to robots in the future, because there are things we need to talk about in the here and now. So those, I think, were a number, were a couple of big things for me. But then sort of in the, in the weeds more, you know, um, thinking about how a company should look at the procedure and the oversight and then think about the tech and the and the, the ethical problems of the tech. So really emphasizing something that I know we've talked about before, that actually if your company is going to use AI, it needs to be all in and everybody needs to understand how you're using AI. Yeah, she certainly gave a great explanation as to who and, and why that needs to be the case. And I liked her framing that you put these structures in place to ensure confidence in the AI that you're producing and ultimately what your company is producing, whether it's AI specific or AI enhanced. Um, I also really appreciated the nuance she brings to the conversation. So as opposed to the sci-fi headlines we're talking about that are, you know, all good or all bad, really, you know, when you think about it, each of the points she talks about was the point and the counterpoint. So she's talking about the importance of the basic principles that we think of as with responsible AI, but she was also 
pointing out that there's internal conflicts. You know, we want there to be privacy standards in place. We want there to be security for the user. On the other hand, how will we measure that we are being fair and that we are not spreading discrimination if there is an absolute lock on all demographic information? Um, so I, I think these nuances, when she's talking about even science fiction, you know, it is very helpful to be able to dream a world where this AI is on the next level. You know, I used to make myself watch the Black Mirror episodes um, as, as homework, and I would have to like, you know, really get ready for a gut punch every episode <laughs> to see where this AI capability would take us in the darkest form. Um, but like she said, how powerful to live through that in more than a few passing seconds to be able to imagine it the way that a book or a show does um, is, is so helpful in both opening our eyes and making us plan for the in inevitable future or hopefully the future we can avoid now that we've thought about it and protected against it. Absolutely. We did some work with Stuart Russell and some sci-fi writers and economists to really think about exactly what Ilana was talking about. How do you imagine the world that you want to get to, you want to live in, and then plan policy that gets you to that point? And it's really hard. You know, it's so much easier for us as human beings to think about the bad things than the good things. Um, so I liked her framing that, you know, you can look at the bad things and decide you don't want to get there. So you want to plan against those um, in the hope that you get somewhere better. Yeah, yeah. A really powerful tool that I will look forward to us talking more about on future episodes. Speaking of which, I can't wait for our next one. Likewise. Take care. Bye, Kay. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible. 